Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to this edition of the What's Next podcast, where I have the wonderful pleasure of welcoming Simon Mannering to the show today. He is the founder and CEO of We First, a strategic consultancy that accelerates growth and impact for purpose-driven brands. His company was included in Real Leaders list for the top 100 impact companies in the U.S. for 2021 and was a B Corp's Best for the World honoree also this year. Prior to starting We First, Simon spent 15 years as an award-winning writer, creative director, and worldwide creative director at many of the world's top creative advertising agencies and received over 60 awards at major advertising festivals, including the Cannes Advertising Festival. Plus, he was an interim CMO at Tom's Shoes, which I included in my book. So I love that you were an interim CEO or CMO for them. His first book, We First, How Brands and Consumers Use Social Media to Build a Better World, is a New York Times bestseller, a Wall Street Journal bestseller, and an Amazon bestseller. So definitely go pick it up. And Sustainable Brands listed We First as one of their top sustainability books of the decade. With all that, Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tiffany. A pleasure to be here. Yes, and I know we're going to talk about your new book coming out, so uh, hold that thought. But before we get started, I want to begin with what I call bullish and bearish. Bullish is you're for it. Bearish is you're against it. Nothing too painful. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First one, flying cars. Bullish or bearish? Bullish. All right. Fantastic. Second, in spirit of what's been going on lately, commercial space travel. Bearish. Okay. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you on that one. I feel like, you know, there are some places maybe we shouldn't go yet. Well, you know, if it comes <laughs> at the expense of where we already are, that's my problem, but let's leave it. Yeah. yeah, I agree. All right. The third one, artificial int intelligence writing ad campaigns. Bullish. Oh, well, I did not expect you to say that. I love when the guests sort of throw me for a loop. So good, Simon. That's great. Well, listen, I just want to uh, get started with um, something I know you have said, that the future of profit is purpose. Uh, and I would love to just stop, start at the highest level of that, because I think with so much being talked about now uh, on this particular topic, especially after the last 18 months and um, you know, all kinds of things happening at the largest organizations in the world, I'd love to hear sort of how you landed on that many years ago, obviously, and have continued on it even today. Yeah, so it was really instructive to kind of way back when, when I sort of wrote my first book and then kind of took that message out there to the world, a lot of people would pat me on the head or, you know, think, isn't it nice that someone thinks that way, that there's someone sweet and naive to think that that's even possible. <laughs> but what I was really responding to was, you know, the study that I'd done for the book, but also just a growing awareness, especially after 2008, you know, the global economic meltdown, that government philanthropy isn't going to fix the world on its own. And the elephant in the room was business, which was causing a lot of harm and also wasn't doing as much good as it could. And as you know, my line of sight looked to things getting worse, whether it's climate, biodiversity, plastics in the ocean, I thought, how could it be anything other than this rising expectation on business to show up in new ways? In which case, my opinion was that the market forces will shift to reward companies that are doing more good. And as it's played out over the last 10 years, that's, that's happened dramatically so, even more than I imagined. Yeah, and I think, you know, even if you look at 
Um, the UN's SDGs, you know, there's sort of 30 that they want the world to sort of wrap themselves around. And that's really about just trying to raise to the level of consciousness of it can't just be capitalism for capitalism's sake, right? That the shareholder, a very important shareholder for everybody is our planet, right? And society and the people who live here. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful that I happen to work for a company, uh, Salesforce, where our CEO is all about purpose over profit um, and talks about it all the time. But I, I always worry that that message feels big, like big for an individual contributor. Like, how can I, you know, I don't make these decisions, but I work for a company. What, what, what would you tell someone who listens to this and goes, yes, that's, that's what I want to do where I work? What would you give them as advice? You know, it's a great point because I think, you know, these issues are huge and in the, they're in the headlines every day and that can be overwhelming and that can feel sort of demotivating. But here's the reality. Firstly, you know, we all depend on the same planet. And as that, you know, the natural systems are breaking down, we're all going to suffer. So we all need to pay attention. That's point number one. The second thing is that brands can't survive in societies that fail. They can't. It doesn't matter whether you're the coolest brand on the planet if infrastructure is breaking down, if the disparity of wealth is causing social unrest, you know, if the environment is breaking down, your business won't thrive. There won't be that middle class to buy your products. So with all that as context, what can you do as an individual inside your company? One of my big issues with share, shareholder capitalism that you just pointed to is, you know, I think the shift from state, uh, sorry, my, the shift from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism is really, you've got to put a focus on all the stakeholders in our future. But my big issue is that with it is that everyone points to everyone sharing in the rewards, but they don't call out everyone to share in the responsibilities because we got into this mess together and we're going to have to work together to get out of it. So again, coming back to your question, there's a lot we can do. Every single choice we make can really position ourselves as part of the solution or part of the problem. So we can choose who we work for. Are we working for a company that's doing good? I mean, Salesforce and it's a HANA platform and so on does amazing things. You know, then secondly, every single time we buy a product in the shopping aisle, we're making a conscious choice. Do we want to enable with our dollars that company to succeed? Do we want to make a plant-based alternative choice, you know, which will help us, you know, add less carbon to the atmosphere and so on? And then thirdly, do we want to invest our money more intentionally. So what pension funds are we investing in? If we're using Robin Hood, what companies do we want to enable? So I think it's really about putting your time and your dollars to work as effectively as possible. Again, why? Because we all rely on the same planet. And why? Because businesses can only survive in societies that are thriving. And so we've got to shore up the whole because the parts, you know, can then thrive. And without the whole, we're not going to be able to, you know, do all the great things that capitalism can do. Yeah. And I think even something simple, like say you're an individual contributor and you work in a sales organization and you don't have any line of sight to what the executives are doing around, you know, carbon output and all of the things we just were talking about, but you could grab your team and say, Hey, we're going to go to the beach on Sunday and we're going to pick up trash and you're going to mobilize employees to do their part. And does it work? And does it start to have this flywheel effect internally of, yeah, I want to do that too. And how do I do that too? And you know, I think that it, you can't think about it that I can't impact, you know, the top C-suite to do something, but I absolutely can impact what I do and what my team does and how we handle things. So if we're going to do an event, 
maybe we'll do a bike building before our event, or we'll, you know, do some uh, volunteer time, whatever it is to just sort of make the world a better place. I'm a huge fan of, right? Yeah. And it, and it's not like suddenly we've all got to wake up and grow a conscience. or this is an uncomfortable ask of anybody. When you actually do those activities and we do them, you know, every quarter with our team at, at we first, you know, people find that they get so much out of that day. They actually really enjoyed it. They, they forged new bonds with their colleagues and so on. And as you know, obviously we're all opening up after COVID, we can go back to those physical sort of volunteer efforts and so on. And all the research shows that it adds value to your business. Plus, I believe in the innate goodness of human beings. I believe that we do want to show up for others, that we do feel better about ourselves when we do that. So I think this is something that is really sort of fundamental to being a human being. And the more that we do that for each other, the better off everybody's going to be and all boats will rise. So I think that uh, this isn't an ask and it isn't against human nature. I think it's very aligned with who we are. I agree. And, you know, look, I kind of went on my own journey. You know, uh, my book, uh, Growth IQ, had 10 paths to growth. And the 10th path I was reserving for sort of what's the next freemium, right? What's the next big thing that's going to move the needle? And I had just joined Salesforce maybe uh, sort of eight months before I started writing the book. And I said, you know what? The opportunity for me is to actually make the 10th path purpose over profit, which is where I included Tom's in the story. Right, that you can actually win. You can win customers. You can win uh, employees. You can, you know, win better engagement across the board. To think about stakeholders, like the one and one of, you know, buy one shoe and one gets given away. And look at how many people have done it. Whether it's Warby Parker or Bombos, I mean, everybody's copied the model at this point. Um, and so there actually is results that companies can see. But I will tell you, with like the business roundtable that a lot of pushback I hear with groups like that is what's the metric? What's the thing that people then can you know, tie causation from? They got much more socially and environmentally conscious, conscious. And then all of a sudden, yep, you see their growth rates start to improve. What do you think is missing there? Or what do you think companies can really think about, about that? What's the metrics we can put in place? There's a couple of parts to my answer. The first is, it's a really valid question. What's the ROI of doing good? Really, because we're all time poor, we're all resource poor, and there's several things in terms of the bottom, you know, P&L benefits to a company, bottom line. Reputational benefit, you know, build your reputation with all stakeholders. Supply chain management, you de-risk your company when you actually make sure that you're making things more responsibly. Your ability to attract and keep and get the best out of the employees you have to win the talent wars. Then products and innovation that are really a reflection of your purpose. You'll be on the right side of market forces that are starting to reward that. And then obviously conscious consumers and customers that want to buy from companies doing good. And then whether you're a young company looking for capital or whether you're a publicly traded company, investors are leaning so heavily into ESG funds now and to really support those companies that are really holding themselves accountable through their environmental, social and governance metrics. And then obviously the community impact. When you improve the environment around you, you build goodwill and obviously the company can thrive. So there's some broad based, you know, just uh, a few different levels of ROI. But when it comes to the transactional sale piece of it, I think there's a fundamental lesson here that we've, I think we've almost forgot, which is A, a business needs to be in the business of adding value to someone's life, not just extracting money from them. It's got to add value. And to that end, you've got to establish a relational dynamic 
with your customer, not a transactional one. I think, you know, to your point about your book and everything, you know, so many sales teams go out there and whether they've got an algorithmic mentality or just a transactional mindset, it's like it's a numbers game. Let's churn and burn. Let's hunt and gather. But really, increasingly, people want to work for companies or with you know, companies that share their values. And so if you approach it in terms of what you stand for and align with them in terms of what they're trying to achieve, the role they're playing in the world, not only will you get the sales, but you'll also have a much deeper relationship and you'll get goodwill and loyalty over the long term. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's it's such a timely conversation, right? Because this great resignation, whatever you want to call it, right, where people are now reevaluating where they work, how they work, uh, and what companies they work for. And you could gener- generationally say that there's a generation that goes, I actually want to work for a company that aligns to my personal values. And I want to buy from a company that aligns to my personal values. So the other uh, case study I used in that chapter was Lemonade Insurance. You know, it was going after sort of big business and said, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to take advantage of kind of Uberizing the insurance industry, if you will. But it was purpose driven that, you know, everyone is going to buy insurance, but we're going to put into the pot of your favorite charity. You get to pick one of five. And if your particular group, you know, that aligned to that charity didn't have a lot of claims that year, a portion of the profit from the company would go to that charity. And what did they find? All of a sudden in an industry that was 100% pretty well, let's not be exaggerative. It was probably 85% male purchasing and over a certain age, Lemonade cracked the code and it was almost 50-50 male-female and got people in their 30s for first-time insurance buying where they'd never bought insurance before because they aligned to the company more than an industry that they felt was not didn't understand them as a consumer. So it's brilliant. I think it's a great example. I mean, so many industries have commodified people. You know, they sort of almost see this fleshware thing, you and I, blood and bones and so on, as just, you know, line items on a, on a sales sheet, when instead we respond in a very different way. I mean, we're all human beings sitting around a campfire telling stories. And if a company in a sales capacity can reach out to you and say, listen, firstly, we want to know what matters to you. Like, what's really important to you? And this is what we stand for and what we care about. And is there an alignment there? Because if so, we'd love to work together and this is what that could look like. And this is not only true of all of us increasingly, but these younger demos coming through, millennials and Gen Z, they inherited a world that was in trouble. Since they were born, all they've heard about is the peril ahead, in which case they're incredibly sensitive to, you know, are they working or buying from or investing in companies that are part of the problem rather than the solution? And here's what I see coming, Tiffany. You know, I've been lucky enough to do this work for 10 years and then writing this new book, you get a line of sight as to where things are going. All of these issues, climate crisis, loss of biodiversity, ocean acidification, plastics in the ocean and in our lives, they're all compounding in the future and hurtling back towards us in the present. And what I see coming is this incredibly aggressive hockey stick of expectation coming on business where the luxury of choice we have right now as to how far and how fast we change is going to be ripped out of our hands the same way our control of our lives was ripped out of our hands with the pandemic, you know, 18 months ago, and everything had to be retooled. And increasingly, brands that really lean into the positive role they're playing will capture these new market forces where people really reward companies for doing so. Yeah. And with that, you know, we, we all sort of play our part differently, right? We play it as individual citizens and then employees and parents and, you know, just us being humans, 
But then we have our work. How do we play our part, you know, effectively? So if you're listening and you're a small business owner or an entrepreneur, could you think differently about how you set up the company? You know, Salesforce did a one 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 model, one percent of our uh, equity, you know, one percent of our software we give away. We power NGOs. I think we're up to around ten thousand, if not more, at this point. You know, and and one percent uh, of our time. And so when you get to when it was three, you know, three employees, Mark and Parker, uh, you know, it wasn't a lot. But now you have seventy five thousand employees. We've got done millions and millions of hours of volunteer and getting people to sort of get along that journey. And so. If you're listening and you're thinking, how can I do it? It's how do you put things in place like that? Because I think it's going to have a tremendous impact um, to show that you're not just talking about it, but you're actioning kind of what we can all do together. Exactly. And I think, A, everybody is scrutinizing companies to see if they're walking their talk. So if you put your hand up and you say that we're purposeful or we've got our ESG commitments or whatever it might be, you better be defensible in public. But B, the really powerful thing is, we're in this mess on so many different levels because not because everyone did something bad all at once, but because there was an aggregate of millions of little actions that we're all complicit in. We threw some plastic out the car of our window. We bought from a company that was doing good. We dropped a piece of trash, whoever, whatever it might be. Each and all, in and of themselves, those individual acts didn't amount up to much, but together they've created this situation that we're in. And the only way we're going to get out of this situation is for the aggregate of all of those little acts again being positive. So to so come back to your point about, hey, what can I do? This seems overwhelming. It's not what you can do. It's what all of us can do in our own little way every day. Because you think of the alternatives. If no one does anything to fix this mess, it's going to accelerate and we're in for a very, very sobering future. If only half of the people do it, then the other half will undo their good work, which has been happening in a lot of cases. You know, a lot of companies are doing good now. A lot of companies are cleaning up their supply chains, but then a lot of aren't as well. And so we're not getting there far enough, fast enough. The only way this is going to work is if we recognize clear-eyed the reality of the world we're in, the crisis we're in, and therefore we're all going to show up. But when we do, it is extraordinary what we can achieve, Tiffany. I think this is a huge cause for optimism right now. The the business world has woken up. The investor class has woken up. You know, everybody is on point now as to how challenged our future is going to be. And I think this isn't the end of something. I think this is the rebirth of business and capitalism in the most exciting way possible. Yeah. You know, I have this conversation sometimes, not as much as I used to, but, oh, I, I just don't believe the hype. I think it's just rhetoric. I think it's, you know, whatever you want to call it. And so, I, you know, sometimes it would usually be about climate change. Let's just pick climate change as just one example. And I'd be like, look, I'm sure the earth goes through its own climate change in its natural way, right? We had dinosaurs. We didn't have dinosaurs. We had the ice age. We didn't have the, you know what I mean? Like it goes through its own evolution. But is it 100% the cause of humans? Probably not. Because when that was happening before, there were no humans to the scale that there are now. But if there is a small percentage caused by humans, it just what, 5%, 10%? Many could argue it's 50, 60%, whatever it is. But it's like, if you just think it's 1% and we can change that 1%, shouldn't we just do that? It's not, it, I feel like the argument is always a zero sum game. It's it either is. that is the truth or it isn't the truth. And I, I don't think it's black and white like that. Yeah, I agree. And also, you know, who's right or who's wrong is not so relevant when you're in the middle of an extreme weather situation or, you know, when, you know, the world is getting hotter around us. And here's how I think about it. Climate change has always happened. The climate is changing today. The climate will change tomorrow. What we're really talking about is a climate crisis. Yeah. 
And that climate crisis is just the natural world responding to the conditions that we've created. There's a lot more carbon going up into the atmosphere. We've, you know, a lot of biodiversity has been lost. We're dumping a lot of plastic into the oceans. And all of those conditions have caused the natural world to respond completely appropriate to those conditions. The problem is the net result of that is that according to 99% of scientists around the world is that the world is getting hotter and that if it becomes one and a half degrees Celsius, you know, hotter, that's going to create enormous consequences for our lives. But that's the good scenario. If it's two or three degrees hotter, then the consequences are very dire. So this is about self-interest. It's not about politics. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's about the visceral experience of life on a daily basis when you're seeing coastal regions disappear as, as, as the oceans rise, whether it's about, you know, tornadoes or hurricanes, you know, flattening a city for another time. You know, this is, this is not theory anymore. This is meat and potatoes stuff. It's visiting us in our daily lives. Look at the climate, look what's happened with COVID-19 in the last, you know, 18 months around the world. This is real. It's not something to be arguing about in the, for the sake of who is right. It's what are the conditions we find ourselves living in and what can we do to address those conditions so that we have a better quality of life for ourselves and everyone? Yeah, and I think you and I have a unique perspective. You're originally from Australia, is that correct? I am, I am. Yeah. So you have the Great Barrier Reef, which has been significantly impacted. Yeah, very sad. And, and I'm from Hawaii, and we have had significant impact to our reefs and our you know very small ecosystem. Australia is much larger than... Hawaii is in its totality. Um, but, you know, those little things, I think some of it is people just don't, if they can't see it, they don't believe it. If they don't experience, they don't believe it. But, you know, I think the point of this was not to have a, I want you to believe this. It's that if you could just open to a little bit different point of view on a topic, and if you do agree with it, how can you action this in a way that yeah. rallies the forces together? And if you don't agree with it, um, maybe have a conversation with someone, or I'm going to lead you right into the next part, which is uh, so Simon could talk about his next book. Because if it's not, you know, that you sort of started to feel a little momentum in this conversation, I think his next book will be the one. So maybe Simon, you can take us home with with that work and and how excited you are about uh, Lead with We. Yeah, thanks. I mean, the big issue that has kept me up at night in the last three or four years has been, despite all the good work that business is doing, and they're doing a lot, and they're doing more every day. We're not getting far enough, fast enough. And as I mentioned in all the research that I've done for the book, these issues are here today, but in 10 or 12 years, our lives are going to look very different to today, the same way that our lives today look very different to February last year before COVID hit. And what can we do to fix that? Well, the only way that we can address it is to really embrace this idea of collaborative leadership. And that's what my book, Lead With We, is all about. How do we live and work together in new ways that restore and protect the natural and social systems on which all of our futures depend. So how can we thrive as capitalists? How can we thrive as businesses? How can we thrive as communities by making sure the whole is doing well, like the natural world, the whole is doing well, like society, so that we can all thrive rather than things breaking down as we've seen. And so what I do is I lay out from a leadership level to a company culture, to marketing, product innovation, to collaboration with industry competitors, and even across sector, the different ways that you can reframe how you do business. So A, you solve for social and environmental crises, but B, you grow your business by doing so. Because from all the work that I've done in the last 10 years at WeFirst, 
I've a deep belief that the most iconic brands of the future will be those with the greatest, greatest social impact. Why? Because our conditions are getting really tough around us and they're going to get worse. So those companies that are more responsible, that are solving for it, will attract the right talent, they'll get the investor dollars, they'll sell more product, and they will be the success stories. So if you want to navigate the next, next 10 years, if you're a startup and a founder or a very large corporation, the book lays out a roadmap for how to do that. Excellent. Well, Simon, I could talk to you really for hours. Um, and we are now physically in the same city, so we'll have to get together. Yeah, uh, although, although we had to do this remotely just because it was a podcast recording. But I so appreciate you doing the work that you do and sort of talking about this topic in ways that seem so much more approachable uh, maybe than others. So any, any uh, parting thoughts that you'd like to leave on how people could keep in touch with you and follow your work? Yeah. I mean, if they're interested in the book, please check out leadwithwe.com or go to Amazon. You can order it now. The other thing I would say is don't be disheartened. Be optimistic. We have never leveraged the full force of business to solve for these issues. We've never had younger demographics coming through that want to make a difference. We've never had all these technologies that can provide exponential results. Like don't be disheartened, but do be engaged. Because when we do this together, we can solve for these issues and create this regeneration of business that will bring it to life in a whole new way that will make things much better for our own futures, but also for our kids as well. So, you know, I'm very, very optimistic, but we all need to show up. Well, Simon, thank you so much for joining us today on the What's Next podcast. It was really a pleasure having you. You know, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, and congratulations on the new book. I'm sure it will do just as well as the last one across three bestsellers, uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Amazon. So thank you again for joining us, Simon. Thank you so much, Tiffany. And thanks to everyone listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Simon as much as I did. It was just incredible to hear his optimism and to really come at some of our big uh, global and human issues uh, with a lens of doing it as we instead of just individuals. So I hope you took some great action items away from that. Don't forget to go pick up his new book. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the What's Next podcast. Please subscribe, share with your friends, leave a rating, uh, and I'll look forward to having you join me next time. <laughs>